You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. You got your buff on here. I got my buff on. I came uh, I came from a public space bracken, and I'm a responsible human, so I have my buff on. I just didn't take it off around my neck yet. You walked right in the door and hopped on the mic. I did. I was hustling today. Do you notice it kind of it kind of matches my shirt a little bit? Same color family. Uh, you know, from my from my vantage point on my camera, because we see different things. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't match. No, I'm also colorblind, so it probably it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Truly colorblind. Well, no, color, what do you call it? Deficient, uh, maybe. Like, I have a hard time seeing, like, colors that are close to one another. For example, when I was a kid, I would I wanted to go deer hunting with my dad, and he would shoot a deer, and I couldn't find the blood, like, on the ground. I couldn't follow a blood trail. He just thought I was stupid. Like, kid, it's right there. And I'd be like, I don't see anything, Dad. Like, I couldn't hmm. see the blood against, like, the brown leaves on the ground, for example. Things like that. So maybe maybe I'm not matching. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not going to say you're not matching, but with the tint on my screen. Oh, I also have night mode turned on my computer. Yeah, trying to get sexy over there? <laughs> not that kind of night mode. No. Not like night mode. Uh, my, my eyes have been burning. I've had so much screen time with, with building the website and extra coaching work because of people's schedules changing with Spartan canceling the season and... I don't know. I just I've, I've been staring at screens too much. My eyes have been burning, so I've been trying to get my uh, blue light filtered out lately. Uh, see if it just test that out. See if there's some merit to that theory. You should just get the the glasses that do that, and then wear those for our uh, recordings. I wouldn't be able to take you seriously, but you'd be. My sister good. has a pair. I put them on. I look like a goon. Oh yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, there are some people's faces are accentuated by glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then there's those of us who are me. <laughs> it's kind of like people in hats. Like some people can wear a hat and they look great. And some people look just awkward and weird in them. Um, yeah. we, you mentioned the website guys. We're super pumped about our website coming out. Bracken's been working hard on it. We are just one weekend away in our busy lives. Bracken and I just need to get together and, and brainstorm out the rest of the content and our coach offerings our coaching offerings. Um, it's close. We have busy lives and we keep putting it on like our calendar and we just haven't been able to do it yet. So Bracken, let's commit to the people right now. When are we getting together, putting this whole thing, finalizing it? When can we do it? I think next weekend. Next weekend is perfect for me. Let's get together. Let's write up some training plans. Let's put it on either Training Peaks or whichever app. We got to choose which app we're presenting it on and let's get this up. Almost everything else is done. Yeah, and then let's just have all payments go to my bank account, and then I'll I'll cut you a check whenever I feel like it. How's that? Sound? Yeah, yeah. Let's meet this weekend and talk. About <laughs> all right, but anyways, it's coming. We're almost there. We just need to put some uh, some brains inside of that beautiful website uh, template we got going. So, um, back to my original question. Yeah, it came out of someplace. You have a buff on. What'd you come rushing in the door from? Oh, uh, I was at. Uh, I went to see Doc, physical therapist. 
about my foot. Um, guys, the, the genius dude I've been going to um, for a, year, a couple of years now. Um, I just hadn't gone in because of life, and I should have been in there a lot earlier. But he confirmed it's either a stress fracture of my cuboid or my fourth metatarsal. So it is a stress fracture that I have going on. But the bizarre thing about it, Bracken, was this, and this is what I can't figure out, is I taken a, I, I preached, you know, the, the Kirk DeWitt deload week, as we call it. Like, take those rest weeks. Like, make sure you're ready for the training coming up. I took a full week off. I took seven days off of running, Bracken. And my second run back, out of nowhere, the foot went from fine to couldn't even finish my run. And I had just come off a whole week off. So, like, I'm scratching my head a little bit. But it's confirmed. So I, that's why I figured it was soft tissue or it was something other than bone. There were no bone, signs prior to the deload week? My left foot's always sore. My left foot's always got stuff going on. It's like I just managing it. You know what I mean? Were you just put Were you put together a little bit incorrectly there? Because everything is left side for you and lower leg. Yeah, but that seems to be the case with a lot of people with chronic injuries. It's my left leg from like mid chin down. It's all my injuries over the years have been there. Um, I was told when I had left leg issues back in high school, they did a bunch of measurements and my left leg is actually almost three quarters of an inch from the hip joint to the foot longer, um, like way longer. So my hips are always rotated to compensate so that my feet hit the ground evenly. Um, if you look at me closely, like my left calf is slightly underdeveloped compared to my right. I have like a little bit of an imbalance there. Um, and so it has to stem from something like that. So my pelvis is constantly rotated. So my feet hit the ground evenly. And I'm sure the chain effect there is just, you know, it is what it is. And, and I, and they tried to fix me with putting, you know, a freaking lift in my left shoe back in high school, like a half inch insert. And you know what that feels like running on? It feels like something's wrong. Like it's, so I just couldn't stick with it. And then I got over things for a year, but now this stuff's popping back up. So um, you're right. There's something going on on my left yeah, side. That's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so still more rest. If it's the uh, cuboid, it looks like 10 to 12 weeks of no running probably. And I'm almost six weeks deep and it still hurts. So uh, this, this brother is going to be grinding, cross training like I have been and still staying away from uh, the excuse zone. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You've been up to anything? You got Not a camping a trip? Camping trip. Family camping trip. So we're packing up, getting all ready. And that's about it. Squeezing in a podcast before we head out, so the so the public has something to look forward to on Tuesday. Tuesday That's right, Tuesday. So let's roll into it. So uh, yeah. why don't you lead us in? Well, we started our pro series last week. Things the pros do that we can all learn from. And just a reminder, we're not saying Kirk and I are the pros. We're talking about professional mindset athletes. So the world champions, the Olympic champions, the people who are doing everything right in their lives. Their lives are structured around the sport. We can't do everything they do because our lives are not structured around the sport to the same extent where you have a team of professionals look after you and you have no other job. But the principles of what they do in their mindset is what we need to copy. So last week we talked about how pros prepare for a workout. Today, we're going to talk about the actual act of working out. And the principle today is that pros have a reason and a rationale for every single movement they make. Mm, we, uh, you know, I, I like to have this conversation with new athletes I coach and also just with people in general who are training. And it comes down to the conversation. Are you exercising or are you training? And, mm -hmm. and actually exercising is is you go out without much of a plan and you go put time in, which is great. Like my hat is off to you. That's great for health and life, but it's never going to get you close to reaching your maximum potential. If there isn't 
purposeful work placed into your program. And I think, I think among all things that professional level athletes do, and, and we're not two of them, um, would, would be the, the purpose every day when they step out the door or they put on their workout clothes, there is a, a defined purpose for that day. And that's part of their thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think a lot of people are missing the mark. Like they're exercising and you think you're training, you think you're training for Spartan races. You think you're training for a 10 K you think you're training. Uh, but really you're just kind of exercising and you're missing a whole level of your fitness because you're not uh, doing purposeful work with some sort of um, prescription. Yeah. A real true pro never rolls out of bed and thinks, all right, so what am I going to do today? And we talked yeah. about that on the last one that they, everything they do prior to the workout is so they can go on autopilot on workout day and only focus on being mentally present and running with correct form and cueing and all that good stuff that needs to happen in order to absorb every ounce of the workout. Pros do that as well as any creature on this planet. They are phenomenally aware of what they're doing and why. Now, not all pros are in charge of that. A lot Mm -hmm. of pros are part of a system that is in charge of it for them. They have a schedule that they are handed and they have a time schedule that they are they are required to abide by. That makes life really easy. If you are part of a training camp, everyone gets up at the same time. Everyone eats at the same time. Everyone runs at the same time. You can't help but be committed. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of us do not have the luxury of that. And so what we need is a very concerted effort to plan out our training schedule and our weeks and our days and the allotted time that we have in order to get the same results that those in a training camp or a facility have. Yeah. That's, you hear a lot of people go back to like, Oh, their glory days back in high school and they were so in shape or college. And it's because they had the structure to show up, do the work, uh, didn't have to do the thinking committed to the plan and just kind of blindly followed with routine. And there's a, there's a, a, an allure to that. And as an athlete, you really, you know, if you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, for example, you probably give a shit about your performance. Otherwise you wouldn't be listened to us anymore. Um, and so really you have a couple options. One, you have to educate yourself, read books, figure things out somewhat on your own, be your own guinea pig and your own byproduct of experiment, but still come up with a plan. Or two, you hire somebody else to do it for you to take the thinking out of it. There's also that gray area of just walking out your door and winging it, as we are not suggesting. But you either are trial by fire, learning by your own mistakes and and successes. You hire somebody to at least teach you a base knowledge, um, and then you can apply it on your own. Um, But just waking up and putting your shoes on and heading out the door and still not knowing in that first mile what you're going to plan on doing that day um, is, is a mistake. So I think we're outlining the fact that, I don't know, Bracken, do you think when most athletes come to you, are, are they planning out their sessions as we're going to about to discuss, or do you think a lot are, are a little more haphazard with it? I'd say it's 70 to 80% are a bit haphazard and there are levels to that. Some are overtraining. Some are just Mm -hmm. sporadically training. Some are getting to the end of a day and like, ah, I just don't have time to get what I planned. So I'm going to do the next best thing possible. Mm -hmm. And they're like, like anything else, there are levels to this. But the easiest thing you can do is ask yourself a question. Ask yourself the same question with two different words in it. The first is, what am I training for? And the second is, what am I exercising for? Okay. If your answer fits into exercising logically, you're not training. Give me an example. So if, you, if I was preparing for West Virginia 
uh, the North American Championships next year. Mm-hmm. I said, what am I exercising for? I'm exercising for the West Virginia Championships. That doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. But I'm training for those championships. That makes sense. If I said, I am exercising for weight loss, that makes sense. I am training for weight loss. Like Weight loss isn't a competition. It's, it's not an end game. It's a process. You don't train for weight loss. You exercise for weight loss. I exercise for happiness. You don't train for happiness. Mm-hmm. You exercise for happiness. You train for whatever it is that brings you happiness. So ask that question. If you have a specific goal, then you have to be training. If you have a concept that you're training towards or um, a process, that that can be exercised towards. And you can take the principles from this podcast and apply it to exercise just fine. But we are here to talk about training and training only. It's Training Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So take your goal. And Kirk, you and I are on the same page with this. We don't start building a plan towards a goal. Mm-hmm. We start with a goal and we reverse engineer a plan to get there. Well, the the fact that you bring that up, and I knew you were going to bring that up, um, and you pigeonholed yourself in a regard that right now, and I don't want to go down this tangent too much, but I think we need to talk about it because we're going to talk so many specifics after this. Mm-hmm. So we don't have we don't have those necessarily dates on the calendar anymore. That rug's been pulled out from underneath us. Um, do you feel like this exercise prescription? still applies in a phase right now where we don't understand what our goals are at the moment. 100%. Okay. I agree with you. I feel no amount of pigeonholing on this, Kirk. Okay, great. A professional athlete would athlete. That's not three syllables. A professional athlete. Yeah, depends who you are. Depends that's who true. You are. Yeah. A professional athlete does not approach any season of their life with disregard to what their outcome is going to be. Even if it is an off-season, there is a prescription for their off-season. There is a prescription for their base building. For example, let's use me on this. I would not consider myself a professional athlete. I have professional aspirations at best. But I have a very singular goal outside of rebuild my body so that I don't have any weaknesses and I can avoid the injury train. My biggest goal is to take my aerobic threshold and bring it closer to my lactate threshold. Mm-hmm. And what would that do? Tell the view, tell the listeners what that would do for you. That means I can run at a faster velocity without accruing lactate accumulation. For a longer period of time. For a longer period of time. Before you hit that wall, yeah. Yes, I can run as fast of a mile as just about anyone in the sport, probably. Mm-hmm. There are a few guys that might beat me, but I'll be close to them. In an OCR race, I hit... I start being overwhelmed by lactate way, 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 way earlier in the process than guys that can run the same mile time as me, but are 20 minutes faster in a marathon. And so I am not running aerobically at times when they are running predominantly aerobically. And I need to raise my aerobic threshold closer. So I have a, a just a smaller disparity between my aerobic threshold and my lactate threshold. And that's the sign of a great endurance athlete, one who has been really well-trained. Mine has drifted over the years. I need to bring it back. So I don't have a race I'm training towards, but my entire training plan is scripted around raising my aerobic capacity. Well, um, you you do a, a better job of following some of the true pro runners than I do. I know you're, you're a little more attentive to what's going on in that world. We have a little something that we're missing this summer called the Olympics that were supposed yes. to happen, okay? And you just made me want to go down this path for a sec because... 
Um, I know you follow what they're doing and you had athletes that now are bumping potentially back to 2021 for the Olympics, I believe. Isn't that correct? Is that what they decided on? Best case scenario. Best case scenario. Okay. So really, you know, you as the listener and us are potentially kind of in the same boat as these Olympians. We had been training to focused on like summer racing and these peaks and now they're being bumped back a year. And if we're real talking this, we may not race early in 2021 yet. It could be a while. So my lead up to this is you follow some of the pro athletes. Have you seen what they've decided to do? They're racing. So they're racing. Okay. They're racing. This is fantastic. Tell me, tell me more. These training camps, the Boston Track Club, the Nike Oregon Project, all these different spread out around the country training crews are holding time trials and intra-squad meets, and they're doing virtual races against each other. There's been some intercontinental races where people in Europe raced uh, people in Africa. They started a Skype race at the same time. There was a countdown, three, two, one, the gun shot at both ends, and they took off and they raced a thousand, I believe, or something like that. They are using their fitness. They were all gearing up for this Olympic process and they're testing their fitness out and they're going to refine, revamp, and then progress again. Well, you made the point that I wanted to make, so I'm glad you did. And that is, um, it's not the time to just go and sort of lull yourself asleep with just bare bones exercising for the next six months because um, as we talk about, you don't want to lose sight of that competitive edge and that top end fitness. And so the pros olympians would be the epitome of pros especially in our sport Mm -hmm. are purposely i saw and i don't know what it was espn or something the other day they had like a split screen going and they had people racing each other by themselves on Mm -hmm. two different tracks but they were in the same race it was really bizarre but also really cool and so this topic still is relevant is is the the roundabout way i'm getting at this because you you don't want to be just uh you know, maybe if you need a breather because training's been taking it out of you, sure, go ahead for a week or two. But then we got to get back to work with purpose. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, just like you, Bracken and I have on the side chatted about, you know, after races were all canceled in the Spartan Race Series, we got a lot of messages, didn't we, Bracken? A lot. Uh-huh. And I, I have not told you what I've told my athletes. I don't believe we've had this part of the discussion. So I'm guessing it's going to be similar. But what have you told your athletes? I've given them all three op- or two options, and the second option has a two-part. The first is suspend their their training. If you want to take a break, go away for a while, I get it. Come back when you're ready. I'm here for you. But I encourage everyone to do one of two things. Either A, continue your progression. If you had a race on your calendar in six weeks, you finish off your training block, and then you do the best simulation of that race you possibly can. And then also retest a couple metrics, maybe mile or 5K or treadmill challenge or something like that, because you need the information for what this training block did to you. And you need the validation for all the work you've put in. And then after that point, you either train for the next one and complete your whole season, mm-hmm. or you take the information that you have. And now we just say, hey, we've been gifted an extended off season, and you're going to be a different animal next year. We have uh, very slight variations of the same thing. Okay, let's hear uh, it. We're, we're like-minded that way. We know this. But um, I had a number of them ready to throw in the towel or this feels pointless. I also had some that had a great attitude about it. And I did the exact same thing. I actually didn't give them any options unless they wanted to stop. And it was where they said, can we train, change the training plan and can we modify some things? Or I don't know what I'm doing now, so maybe we pause. And I said, no. Damn it. We're going to finish our build because most everybody was racing West Virginia or Utah. 
And racing throughout the year is a snapshot of memories. When you go back and you look at your year, you're like, oh, I remember Jacksonville and you remember the social aspect of it. And you remember the race. And those are like highlight points of your year as, a, as, a, as an athlete. And I said, it's time to make another, it's another memory, a snapshot you don't want to forget. So on that day, on August 29th, your ass is doing something epic, something that you will not forget, whether it is a beast simulation or you're going to try to climb the most vert you can in a day or hit an FKT. Every single person, the point is, and again, this is just reiterating our point, what the pros and the Olympians are doing, is they're training with purpose, still towards goals that are going to help them get to their next large goal, which would, let's say, be the Olympics or the 2021 season. So um, I'm telling them the same things. Don't let go of it now. What if you let go of it now? And then you do it in August and September and in October and November. Where do you think your fitness is going to be by the end of the year? It's going to be shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to reiterate that point right now because I could see how some people would think this discussion is is negligible considering our circumstance. And I couldn't yeah. disagree with that more. This is not hypothetical. This matters now more than ever because when a race is on the horizon, everyone gets race specific. That's easy. You get frightened by what's coming up and everyone scrambles. If they're not prepared, everyone scrambles to get ready for the race. So yeah, of course you have purpose for your training when there's a race five weeks away. It's when you have a race 25 weeks away that you get lost and pros do not get lost. A, their coach won't let them, their sponsors won't let them, their federation won't let them. If they lose them, the federation loses millions. They mm -hmm. lose face, they lose sponsors. You can't have that, so they don't have an option. They have an entire infrastructure built around them to avoid getting lost. We mm -hmm. do not. And so we have to provide that infrastructure ourselves. And that starts with identify your goal in which point you are training, you are not exercising, and you back build from that goal. Yep. And every single pro athletes coach does that. And you need to treat yourself like that. So the first thing that you should do in this situation, and Bracken uh, outlined this really nicely for himself, is he wanted to get his aerobic threshold closer to his lactate threshold. I believe that's what you'd said, right? Mm -hmm. Um so that's a weakness of Bracken's and Bracken knows that to be better once racing resumes, that, that working on that is important. And what, the, what does that mean for workouts? Well, it means probably a lot of tempo and threshold work. It means probably raising that, that long grindy ceiling for you. So you have that stay power. Am I correct? Yeah, but it's going to start with eight to 12 weeks of aerobic, just being an aerobic monster in training. I'm going sure. to be running very little quality outside. My quality will come from strides some ins and outs, and from my strength circuits. I will do almost entirely aerobic building for eight to 12 weeks because I can afford to. And then yes, then we're gonna start pairing it with high-end aerobic work and low-end threshold work. Yep, so that's Bracken's weakness that he knows he needs to work on. So then you have to sit here and ask yourself, I mean, we are so gifted with this amount of time to actually invest in what we need to do. Um, if you're an obstacle course racer, there's so many facets we need to work on, we can never really truly build or hone in on our weakest link because we can't forget about some of the other pieces in the process. Um, so right now we have a little bit more of leeway with time. So the first question, and a pro would ask themselves the same thing right now, and that's why we're diving into this, is what what is your weakness and how can we build purposeful work to, to better it? Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I would ask myself right now if I were you. Yeah, and the answer for almost everyone is your aerobic foundation. Even pros who have already completed their aerobic development, for the most part, begin every off-season with a block of aerobic foundation work. 
even if it's just a refresher course, even if it's only two to three weeks for the guys who've been running for two decades, they still have to refresh that because what happens in your body is you build up this huge volume of work, which is your aerobic development. And it gets as high as it can possibly get. And this is where you're talking about all those benefits of, you know, capillary beds and mitochondria um, increase in size and, and all of these things that occur that are really good for you. And then you start adding in anaerobic work. And as those as that rises, the higher your anaerobic work rises and the more frequency you do it with, the more it erodes at your aerobic foundation. It chips away. And that's okay because in a periodized build, you time it so that your aerobic capacity is as high as it can maintain with your anaerobic capacity being at its peak. And that's when you race. If you continue any farther, that's when people start to stagnate. They keep getting faster in interval work, but they're not any faster in a race because their aerobic capacity has actually started to drop. It's a trap. It's a trap that a lot of athletes fall into. That exact trap happens to a lot of athletes. Yeah. And you can't really avoid it. You just have to time it right. And then you reset and you re uh, kind of mortar in your foundation with more aerobic work. So even the pros do it for two or three weeks. We're not pros. We probably haven't maxed out our aerobic capabilities. And so we need to address that. Now there's other weaknesses in there. Strength might be one. Flexibility mm -hmm. might be one. Maybe not flexibility, but mobility, health. Mm -hmm. But I think the vast majority of people in the sport could do to increase their aerobic capacity. Yeah. Could you just outline real quick? You said like, just like a little bit of aerobic uh, capacity work, like what type of running and workouts would that look like for the first yeah, month? That looks like nothing hard. Does that look like exercising Bracken? It kind of looks like exercising. <laughs> it kind of does. It's prescribed exercises. Yeah. You have... Basically, you're trying to get to the point where you can run as long as you can run, as fast as you can run with the least amount of effort. Mm -hmm. That's what speed is at any level. But this speed means you're always staying below your aerobic threshold. And you're hearing this from a guy who's a firm believer in keeping all components of fitness in his program. Yes. You're saying that this is, this is a piece of the puzzle. So I'm doing strides. I'm doing strides multiple times a week to end my runs. And I'm yep. doing strength work to keep my anaerobic systems as primed as I can. And you can even do non-impact work to, to keep that intact if you need to. But yeah, 100% of my real on-feet volume will be aerobic. Well, and it should be too because you're just old man cracker over there with two bum yeah. knees and, and got to watch watch things a little closely. Well, who yeah, are we becoming over here, by the way, with our, uh, with our injury scenarios? <sighs> a little ridiculous, isn't it? Um, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this thing, Bracken. So, um, we got the main point that I wanted to get across to begin with is that purposeful work needs to still be in your program. Okay. That's in you. I think, thank you for paying attention to what the pros are doing right now. Still racing, still yep. really doing the deal. Um, <clears throat> so then we say, okay, so what are the, what are the different purposes of workouts? Like, what are our options here? Like, okay, our workout has to have a purpose. I don't even know what my options are. Like what, what are my, what's my bucket of purposes for each day, okay? Uh, why don't you outline the first few that come to mind and then I'll outline some. Well, I'm going to take this from a classic perspective. So this does not touch upon like the, the Richard Diaz flow style technique because that's a whole nother can of worms which operates under a different premise. So I'm doing the classic endurance, tried, proven over time training style. You basically have days that are entirely dependent upon stressing your body more than it is used to. 
what we would generally call quality days, days that stress your system and put it into the SRA cycle, stress, recovery, adaptation. Mm -hmm. So you stress it very hard in a workout and that is a quality workout, which begs the question, how do you then recover so you get the adaptation and then become better? You recover by doing things that are not stressful. So a pro would get to, and we're not here to talk about what you actually do on that day. We're talking about believing and following the premise of that day. So on your quality day, whatever it looks like, a pro does it with a purpose. They do it to the limit of that quality day. If they're supposed to be at an 8.5 out of 10 effort, they do not do an 8.6 out of 10 effort. They stick at 8.5. If they're supposed to time trial and leave nothing on the track, they leave nothing on the track except sweat and maybe vomit. They follow the rules of their quality day, and then they move to the rules of their recovery day. Okay. All right. Um, You don't want to dive into uh, specific purpose uh, options for workouts, as in like proving your improving your lactate threshold or your VO2 max or your run economy. You don't want to dive into that. Is that another pro day episode? You know, I always want to, but we have days that talk about interval work and tempo work and all those things. I'm not trying to tell people how to train. I'm trying to tell them how their mindset needs to be about how they train. I don't care what kind of workouts you're doing. I want the workout to fit the goal and your mindset to fit the goal every single day. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can get behind that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be as simple as this. It could be as simple as, um, okay, we're flatlanders here in in the Midwest. And my constant eternal goal has been to become a better climber. So so I could put in a great high-intensity, purposeful climbing block for the next three months. Mm -hmm. Um, build that foundation and then go back and relayer in my speed work and some flat tempo and threshold work and things like that and where it all should come together. So for me, yeah, we don't need to get, I could be doing 60 second intervals or I could be doing long 20 minute grinds on the, on the incline trainer, but my quality days are, are revolved around my goal and my goal would maybe be to be, let's say a better climber. So we can leave it as simple as that. But I think as long as that quality workout is somewhat geared towards whatever you have in mind, um, you kind of pound that on your quality days. Um, you do. Is what I think so. And and I do want to get into specifics of what those quality days need to, to be like in terms of it's not like, hey, I have a, and you wouldn't do this, but someone might. I need to get better at climbing. Today, I'm going to go climb for an hour hard, and tomorrow, I'll probably do some intervals, and the next day, I think I'll I think I'll run downhills really hard, and then the next week, I'll probably repeat those and then try something different the week after. Everything is sequential for a pro. It is, I would dare say, boring for a it pro is. athlete. The best trainers in the world who get the most out of pro athletes are master psychologists and they're master science um, science minds, math minds, science minds, and everything is sequential. If this, then that, if this, then that, and it progresses from one to the other. So it's micro changes from workout to workout. If you're doing 60 second intervals, the next time you do it, you're either doing 70 or 90 second intervals creeping up slightly, or you're doing more 60 second intervals with the same recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, this week I'm doing a hit session on the on the hill. And next week I'm going to do an EMOM. And the week after that, I'm going to do a long circuit then a short circuit. Like it's disjointed. Pros do nothing that is disjointed. Every workout leads to the next workout, which is reverse engineered from the final goal. 
Yeah, um, nothing is left uh, to be a mystery, and everything is measurable and objective and tangible, yes. so they can so they can monitor their progress. Now, most of our listeners are OCR athletes, and it gets a little more subjective with progressing at times, um, as far as like race performance goes, because strength is a factor, and and you know ability to to do a lot of tasks. But um, I agree with you on that, and and a lot of times, and I fall into this trap too as a coach sometimes is prescribing this different stuffs to keep people like, you know, excited, like, Oh, I've never seen that workout before. This is different. And, and that can serve its purpose. But I think for really measuring fitness, that's why we keep going back to like, you got to at least, if we're going to play around with that, you got to go back to your 5k time trial once every four to six weeks, mm -hmm. you have to have measurable, uh, tangible things to measure. And so right now is kind of a good time to do what Bracken had just spoken about is pick repeatable workouts and layer in either more intensity, more duration, less rest, something so you can start to progress and monitor it. I think now's a really good time to take that approach. That's almost what all professional athletes do in their training cycles. You mentioned something in our last uh, podcast, Bracken, about muscle confusion being a crock of shit in your opinion. Mm -hmm. um, now, I go back and forth on agreeing with you with that fully, but the one way I do definitely agree with you on that is progression for run speed and speed extension. So like, yeah, you gotta repeat workouts in order to understand how you're doing. Yeah. And so, so I, if I were an athlete, I would, I would take, um, I would pick a workout that you think fits your goal and then find different ways, ways to either repeat that or, or progress it and purposely plug them in on a regular basis. That's what you do with your thousands. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought up the idea of keeping athletes happy because I'm guilty of the same thing. I generally have like this pie in the sky training plan that I would love them to follow. And based on the athlete, I have to sub certain workouts out with its next best replacement for novelty factor. Uh -huh. to keep people mentally engaged. And I guess I wanna just have like a, a call to action here. I wanna remind athletes that if you are exercising, you need novel approaches in your training. You need muscle confusion. You need mental stimulus because it keeps you going and engaged and happy and excited and looking forward to the workout. Yep. To a professional athlete, there is nothing more alluring, nothing sexier than repeating a workout that you've done a million times and doing it 1% better. Oof. They just, at pro athletes and coaches get off on that micro adjustment with the micro improvement. And you can be like, oh man, I am tangibly better than I was. And those processes are what keep you engaged in moving forward. So true. And if you're looking at your plan and say, this doesn't excite me, then your goal doesn't excite you. It's not the training. And if it the goal doesn't excite you, then you might want to think about exercising. But if you have a goal that excites you, every mundane, boring piece of training is exciting because it gets you one step closer to your goal. God, I'm glad you said that. You outlined that really nicely. It's super true. Thank you. If you're boring, well, if you're, if you're in quotes, boring training plan uh, doesn't excite you, then your goal doesn't excite you enough. It's so true, man. It really is. It's very simply put, but it's right. You know, and some examples of this would be when I start adding tempo or threshold work. Okay. First, my first crack will be a four mile tempo or threshold run. And then two weeks later, I'll go do a five mile and attempt to hold the same pace for another mile. Then the two weeks later, it'll be a six mile threshold run where I'm attempting to hold pay the same pace I did for my five miler two weeks earlier. You can do the same thing. You can start with quarter mile repeats with 
let's say 75 seconds rest. And then two weeks later, you go do the same thing with 65 seconds rest. And you just try to improve in some measurable facet, either uh, faster or extension of that same speed or less recovery. Um, I think every athlete's training cycles, you, uh, who are the brothers, the, the Ingebrigtsen brothers Mm -hmm. that you talk about a lot. Um, we've chatted off, off, um, Mike about this and their training is like, so, I mean, they'll go through like a 13 week training block and they're repeating the same exact workouts with small tweaks every single week. Aren't they? Yeah. Like everything. Yeah, the, the top-end pros are the greatest example of being excited by the process and the goal, not by the name or the flash of the workout. The Ingebrigtsons do threshold work three to six times per week in their three, normal three, training cycle. Three to six times per week. They will do double threshold sessions. They'll do AM long intervals, PM short intervals. They'll do something like six to eight by 1,000 in the morning and 20 by, by one minute in the afternoon. And two days later, they're doing more threshold work and more because they're just trying to nudge their lactate tolerance better and better. And they stay a lot of times slightly sub-threshold so they're not taking an accruing damage. And they just nudge it and nudge it and nudge it and nudge it and nudge it thousands of times over the course of many years with the arrival date being Olympic gold medal. That's their goal. Mm-hmm. And they, they, there might not be a better example than that family of people who have just embraced every aspect of your life is revolving around becoming the best in the world. You look at Eliud Kipchoge. He has like three or four staple workouts that he has repeated in his training plan for the last eight years of marathon dominance. And he knows every workout so well that they can judge everything about his health, his fitness, and his training by how each session goes. Yeah. Yeah, you should give the uh, the Ingebrigtsen brothers a follow on on social media. They're they're good. They're they're good motivation, good solid follows too. And they kind of I don't know. Sometimes they outline a little bit of what they're doing, which I like. But um, so basically, what we're telling you right now is the pros are doing measurable workouts that they can somewhat repeat and engage improvement of fitness. Okay, so start getting your wheels turning that way. We're not giving you a training plan here, but we're telling you like mm-hmm. figure it out, make figure it out on your own in some way to. Uh, be able to tangibly measure, um, tangibly measure progress. Yeah, and and don't sit in a phase for too long. If you need a week or two deload to feel bad for yourself now that races have been canceled, fine. But don't let it last longer than two weeks, and then we get back to to real work. So, what we've seen with Ryan Kent and Michael Jordan and a litany of other athletes who have reached a high level of their sport, they all have chips on their shoulders or they all have these imagined slights against themselves. We just saw it with Kent. Mm-hmm. Anyone who watched The Last Dance saw it with Jordan. How many times did he say, and I took that personally and that's all I needed? I haven't seen it, but I want to. Worth watching. I've done so much assault bike and spin bike to that documentary series. But that is how they get through mundane training. They're not like, oh, this workout's going to be so fun. It's this workout's going to allow me to murder my opposition. And this is who I'm thinking about during this training session. They find their little reasons to get really jacked up about repetitive training. And now you start to look back at our last episode and what we're preaching, getting ready for your workout, 
always having your training plan near you, writing everything down, rereading it the night before a workout, getting pumped up for the workout the night before. Suddenly the process is what you fall in love with. And now repetitive workouts are stimulating because you've spent all that time in your preparation, knowing what you did last time and getting excited for this one and, and visualizing how you're going to improve from the last time you did it. That process starts to become very alluring, very sexy to you when it's not repetitive and boring anymore. And it gives the data more meaning um, when you're constantly changing workouts. You can feel satisfied with the hard effort. You can look at your heart rate data afterward and say, wow, I worked hard. Um, but some of those workouts are a little subjective in the sense that, well, I know that was hard, but am I better today than I was last week? I don't know. Um, so, so that's why I kind of like that too. It's something I'm going to go into uh, myself once I start running again. I'm going to take up this exact approach. I know you're going to take up, as you always do, this exact approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, so, so what else then, what else are we, are these, are we, these pros doing, um, in this abyss of time right now? Well, I think we talked about quality days, how they approach that with, like you said it perfectly, measurable results. You have to have a measurable workout or it's not worth doing outside of a day where it's purely to test your mental grit. And even then you measure what you do. So the next time you test your grit, you can see if you're better at doing it. Mm-hmm. Then you have recovery days. You have to recover in order to get your adaptation or it wasn't even worth stressing yourself in the first place. They approach their recovery day with the same attention to detail that they approach a quality day. And that is where we start to lose people. Everyone can get excited about a big, you know, in your face macho workout. But the next day, you kind of just like, ah, I earned a recovery day. I'm going to lounge today or I'm going to binge or I don't feel like recovering. I still feel good from yesterday. I'm going to go hammer out this workout. Mm -hmm. That's where you start to lose people. Pros do not get lost on recovery days. No, they do not. Um, did you see, I don't know if you did, just before we started recording like an hour or so ago, we got tagged in a post on Instagram and somebody had said, did you see this or no? No. I didn't. Um, it just says, it says, I ran the furthest I've run, which was 12 miles and the most mileage in a month I have ever run. And they were thanking us for the 80-20 principle and saying, I never knew this was possible to put so much time on feet and stay healthy until I started listening to the running public and following the 80-20 principle. And now I'm so proud of where I'm at. And this gentleman had simply decided basically, you know, I'm going to take my easy days easier and quit exercising or pounding every day because that's what I think is right. And his progress has been astounding. He just tagged us in it. That's really cool. And the reason he's doing better now isn't because of his quality days. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's because he's learning how to recover. Mm -hmm. And so there's an example of that right there, which just popped up, which I like. So recovery days then, okay. Um, keep walking us through it. So what are the, what are the pros doing on recovery? Well, I'm going to have a, an analogy first here, Kirk. No. Yeah. It's going to shock oh. you, but I'm going to, I'm going to make a correlation here. So when I try to explain people why the volume of training matters and why recovery versus easy matters, I think of it like you live in this remote area where you have to get your water every single day. Your aerobic work, your volume determines the size of the container that you get to carry to the stream and back every day. If you do not do your work, if you're just sprinting back and forth every day, you have a small bucket, but you can really fill that sucker full. But there's not much you're doing with it. The more aerobic work you get, the bigger bucket you have. 
And when you get to the stream, you've put all this work in filling it up. The quality days are the, uh, how much water you can fit in. If you're nailing your quality days, you're filling that thing all the way up to the brim. People that don't do quality, that just do tons of volume, they have this massive vessel, but there's not much inside of it. They could carry all this stress of water in there, but they, they never do. They never try. People who fill it with quality day, they're filling that baby to the brim with water. Your recovery day is getting it back to the house. If you run back to the house, that water is sloshing out all over the place. By the time you get back, maybe you have 80% of what you put in to fill it up. Maybe you've got 50%. Maybe you sprinted the whole way and all you are is tired. And that is how I see, how I in my mind like to think of recovery working after a workout. If you nail your workout and you blow off your recovery, you just haven't kept any of that water back inside. It just sloshes back out. You can't recover and adapt. There's no adaptation without the recovery. So are you just saying if you're working too hard on the way back after you filled that bucket up with hard work, uh, you're losing some of the gains? You are. You're losing some of the progress, the water is falling out, which would be yeah. adaptation in a sense. And unfortunately, when you're carrying a bucket, you get to watch your progress get eradicated. Every time it splashes out, you feel it and you know it. We don't have the benefit of that. We don't get to like see our power meter like rise up like it would in a video game. We have to trust that it's rising up while we're not working hard. Mm -hmm. And that's the key part. We don't feel the water splashing out until it's too late, until we get to race day and our bucket's dry. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's almost impossible to tell in life a lot of times too. Like, oh, I don't need to. You wake up the morning after a quality workout, and you're like, oh, I got good life energy, and my cup of coffee hit me. Coffee's hit me just right, and I'm all of a sudden jacked up to go outside and run again. Uh, nope, stop. Like, just because you're like you know bouncing through life that day, there's residual fatigue in there. I guarantee. I had one of those days yesterday, Brack, and I went out for a 40 mile bike ride. And my cup of coffee was just hitting me right. And I was only a day removed from a really tough effort on the assault bike, salt burpee bullshit I did. It was stupid. But, um, and I was like, I think I'm going to go pound today. And I know better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ready to do it. And I got 10 minutes in. I was like, I'm an idiot. Like, my body is so beyond ready to do this right now. And then I just went and dialed it back. I should have known better from the start. And I listened to my cues. But it happens to the best of us. It does. Life is not an indicator like, oh, I feel pretty good today. You're walking through the grocery store. All these groceries feel light. I'm feeling good. You know, no, like you still need to trust your recovery so you get more out of your. And that's a trap that most people actually fall into is the, I think I'm okay to go today again. Like, I don't feel too stiff or sore. Going up the stairs didn't seem that hard or just anything today. So I can go pound again. But on a cellular level, on a Mm -hmm. true adaptation level, um, it's not happening. And that is probably, I think that's the most common trap I see. I see the everyday athlete fall into. It's tricky. Your cells don't get sore. You know, you <laughs> oh. Like, oh, I have micro tears in the old cells today. Yeah, right, 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 right. You don't feel that. And yeah, so that's where, again, where we start to lose people on that pro mindset. Pros go after their recovery with a gusto thinking this is going to be so great because now I get to do another workout that I'm going to be fully recovered for. And Mm -hmm. they do all their recovery practices. And recovery is going to be the next topic, next week's training Tuesday. So we're not going to dive into what they do, only that they stick to recovery principles. Your goal of recovery is to wake up the next day better than your body woke up the day that you are on currently. Mm -hmm. 
Everything yeah. you do that day serves the purpose to regenerate your system so that you can absorb your greatest adaptations. If you're if you're looking at a pendulum swing and you're staring right at it, you should be either working on the far left end when it's there or the far right end when it's there. And we should spend very little time in the middle of that thing doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so recovery, yes. I think I think one thing that we should just touch on since we're talking recovery, we don't need to get into details um, now, but recovery doesn't mean nothing. Recovery yeah. doesn't mean nothing. And I don't want people to think like, oh, recovery means, oh, I'll just take, even though I feel like running today, I'm going to take the day off or I'm going to, okay, recovery is an active, an active process. Um, and, you know, I, I do think there's some secret sauce to what Ryan Kent is doing right now, by the way, with his, with his moving all day at his UPS job, he's getting so much good active recovery in between his sessions that I'm wondering if that's part of the reason he's feeling so damn good. But Ryan Kent's moving a lot in between his hard efforts and he's still feeling good. So recovery is an active thing. A day yeah. off is not really a true, I don't feel well recovered after a full day off. In no. fact, if I take a day off, that first run after a day off, I still have to work kinks out so then I can get ready for my next workout almost always i rarely feel good after a true day off it's almost like it doesn't recover me as well as going for something easy do you notice the same thing you get a stiff and stale a little bit yeah yeah that's why most coaches if you have to take a day off in the week before a race because you want it they recommend wednesday or thursday not friday no 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 and and the last piece i want to talk about recovery is that it is a fluid term it is different for each athlete and it's different for that athlete throughout their season there are times when I have been fit and high volume and I have pretty good durability that a recovery can be a 10 mile run on trails, nice and easy. And there are times where recovery day means yoga and a nap. It yeah. really changes depending on what you need for that day. And pros listen to their bodies. We talked about it with Galen Rupp about how if he mentioned something to his coach about feeling off, they pull the plug on that workout. If someone sees something off in his stride, they would pull the plug and get him right into the physio. We can't do those type of things most of the time. We don't have a direct pipeline to, you know, a million dollar facility that we just get to walk next door and use. But the principles of that are what we have to keep on recovery. The only way you can screw up a recovery day is if you don't recover. It sounds really dumb and like super self-explanatory, but that's it. You recover on a recovery day and you have done it correctly like a pro would. And... I don't think one, you know, between true hard efforts, one recovery day isn't isn't enough either. So we might be looking at recovery days. Yeah. yeah you look at pro runners and they can do three quality days per week easy, but they're also generally doubling and they've been high volume for years, which gives you the ability to regenerate really quickly. Yeah. Most people can't. Most people are better off doing two quality days per week rather than three. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I who who's the British uh, in the eighties or the seventies? The British eight hundred meter and fifteen hundred meter guy, very, uh, very well known. I'm just Sebco. Sebco. I have a documentary on Sebco, and and he was talking about in his documentary, and that guy was a stud, and um, mm -hmm. and talking about his recovery days, and his recovery days were full of. Um, you know, very, very, very slow running and very, very, very uh, high end, like um, range of motion work and things. But then he was resting in between everything. He said, I wouldn't go to the mall to go shopping leisurely because that's a terrible waste of energy. He was so focused on his purpose. We don't necessarily have that luxury 
of sitting right. around all day afterwards. So we need to space things out a little more. However, if a true pro would would maybe be able to get ready for three quality workouts a week, I don't think most people listening to this could Correct. and should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then we progress to whatever your other day is, strength training day. Some people have extra aerobic development days in between their quality and their recovery. Some people have um, circuit training days. If there is a purpose for it to be there, it should be there. And pros have a purpose for every piece of their puzzle. They don't say, well, I do CrossFit this week because my buddies go to CrossFit and I like the bro time. No, their bro time, so to speak, is after their friend gets home from CrossFit, they come over and hang out. That's their yeah. time. They don't, they don't do activities because their friends do it. Now, that is a tricky subject because most of the people who listen to this have a really good balance between their pursuits as an athlete and their social life and mental happiness. And that's a tricky one to navigate, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And I think it's pretty common to get, you know, sometimes athletes can get a little frustrated with progress at times once you're in into the grind and 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 you realize like this is more for perspective's sake. Like, okay, we understand this isn't realistic for a lot of you. However, mm -hmm. like if you want to gear your mind a little bit and maybe make some small tweaks to get more out of your body, then these are the examples. Um, no, we don't all have a medic on hand. If we get a, uh, an ankle is getting sore in our, in our track workout, that's not an option for us. But, um, if you know the A standard, then you can duplicate it or mimic it the best you can for your life. And so, um, I don't want to set unrealistic expectations. However, you need to know what the ceiling is. And that's what, that's what it is. Everything has a purpose. And, and if you care enough about your goal, you make a lot of, everybody knows this, that works towards something, whether it's a career or, or an athletic pursuit, like you make a lot of sacrifices along the way. I've lost a lot of friends, Bracken, in the last few years, because I'm out of my going out drinking phase now. I'm out of uh, certain, you know, th hobbies that I used to do. Like, no, now guess what? I got to go to bed at nine or nine thirty on a Friday night because I have to get my Saturday morning workout in. And I say no to a lot of Saturday morning opportunities and some would maybe call me a bad friend because I say no sometimes and they, they don't understand why I can't budge, but that's because I'm focused and these professional athletes are too. And then they fit the accessory uh, things that fill their cup in outside of that. But the skeleton of their week is purely their training and their eating and their recovering and their rinse and their repeat. And then they fill the rest of the gaps in that way. And I know you and I are in between that and yeah. like a normal balanced life, but I'm telling you, I know I've, I've, I'm not as close with certain people for that reason. I know I've missed opportunities because I've chosen, I've chosen the life I live. And that's, that's the reality of it. So you'd like to spring questions on me and see how I react. I'm going to do that to you. So okay. My athletes and with myself, I have a way that I approach those type of activities where someone's like, Hey, I know this is what my plan is, but for my personal happiness, I need to do this, this, and this, or else it's just like, it's too stressful. It's not worth the hassle. I've still got to be a good husband, father, coworker, yeah. whatever, wife. I need to have some balance. How do you approach? I have the way I do it. I want to know how you approach it. Approach balance. Uh, yeah. And adding things in that a pro wouldn't have in their lifestyle, but uh, because they're not a pro, they have some amount of balance they want thrown in there. Well, a lot of this varies between what's coming up on my near future horizon. For example, if I have a race next weekend, like my Saturday morning effort is in stone. However, 
if a buddy says, hey, Kirk, you want to go fishing today? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. That would fill my cup in a way. Right now, sure, I may do the same workout. I may push it to Sunday morning. Okay, that'd be one example. The work is still getting done, but I'm flexible. Um, the other thing is that, um, so that's like the, that's probably the main thing is I'm a little more flexible. Um, I'll push things back a day if needed or bump things up sometimes a day. Um, and then the other thing I would say, um, as far as balance goes is I sneak a little something in most days, like something you, something you know about me that the listener doesn't is like, I enjoy a little nightcap of whiskey most nights of the week. And that makes me feel like, ah, like I'm taking this seriously, but not too seriously. Like, I mean, my girlfriend can enjoy a glass of wine every night and that's like our habit. And I filter in little things along the way um, that kind of, I don't know, helps me, helps me feel balanced. And then the other thing is, is if I do get distracted, um, it's either, it's with something else that fills my cup in a different way. So yeah. it's, it's, it, and that's something we actually want to dive into in a future episode, but um, there's other passions and hobbies that I think are worth I, I'm not, I'm not choosing something that drains me mm-hmm. and replacing workouts with that. I would pick something that fills me up versus. So let's say you have an athlete who wants something that drains them. They need to go rock climbing. They need to go to CrossFit. They need to, I have uh, two clients right now, a husband and wife who play ultimate Frisbee and okay. tennis one night per week, each competitive ultimate Frisbee where they're playing 60 to 90 minutes of high intensity sprints. Um, people who do different things like that. What do you do with an athlete like that? That needs to fill their cup in another way that would energy system wise take away from their running. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have that conversation and say, we can do it, but you need to know that this isn't optimal and we're going to do the best we can? Or do you have a systematic approach for that? I'm going to turn this around on you right away, actually, Bracken. <laughs> and I'm only going to do this because it's I'm not dodging it. I'll answer it happily. I am 99% sure that you say, oh, I'm at my best when I'm playing pickup basketball twice a week. I remember you saying that almost verbatim, like something about playing pickup basketball, like hard, intense stuff. Suddenly like your fitness starts to pop and like sharpen a little bit more. Okay. Now some would call that a terrible decision, risk of injury, um, not purposeful work, but yet you swear that that somehow keeps you an athlete and then translates to the race course. Race course. Am I right? Yeah. I look at it like active yoga. I am better. Basketball is not active yoga. That's how I look at it. I I get, as runners, we get very one-dimensional. We get stuck in a linear plane of movement and breaking outside of that's really important. So this is like plyo work to me plus active yoga. It's all wrapped up in one thing that I really enjoy. And I find I am more pliable and more resistance to injury when I play basketball. Now I could find a better way of doing it, I'm sure. But basketball is so enjoyable that I keep it in. However, I missed a race last year because I tweaked a hamstring playing basketball. Yeah, you did, didn't you? I forget about that. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Well, I just wanted to note that because you're asking me a question about something that you've chosen to do. Well, and if I was a true pro, which I am self-admittedly not, I wouldn't sniff a basketball court because Mm -hmm. there's not too much on the line. The the rewards on uh, outweigh doesn't outweigh the risk. Um, I would in that case when people need to do other things. One, you can treat those other endeavors as active recovery because it's a different modality than running. So you can actually place that into somebody's plan with purpose and build a training plan around those other active endeavors. So, um, so though that can often be active recovery. Um, I don't ask people to take take things out of their life. Uh, I don't force it upon them. So I work around those schedules. 
uh, unless it's excessive. But I look at those other things as an active recovery. Now, let's say somebody had a quality workout on Tuesday and then they wanted to play ultimate Frisbee, which can be oddly intense at times on Wednesday. I'd probably make them do another recovery day on Thursday before hitting their follow-up recovery or quality workout on Friday and just make sure I would err on the side of caution. But I don't think you need to remove that. I really yeah. don't. I think I think the hardest the hardest component of it, Bracken, is saying no to other things that are consuming your time when you need to be training or when when you need to, you know, your kids want to play with you when they get home from school, but it's your only time finally that Lisa can watch them and now you have to go train. Mm-hmm. Like that's a sacrifice you need to make, and and you're gonna lose. You're gonna say no to opportunities to just continually say yes to this one, and so that's I think the hardest balance piece for most people. I agree. I think that things can stay in there. I think a pro wouldn't, but remember, we're not copying a pro. We're taking the principles and applying it to our life. So I think that it's more and more acceptable the more and more you plan your schedule like a pro. If your training plan is designed around everything you need to be successful like a pro would have it, intentional quality days, intentional recovery days, then I have a motto, I have a a flat rule that I give across the board to anyone I work with. And that is you can add in as much as you want of anything you want until it negatively impacts your plan. Mm. That's it. And specifically your next quality day. If you are a little tired and sore on your next recovery day, well, it's a recovery day. Let's double recover. But if you can't hit your long run or you can't hit your interval session or you're dragging for your tempo work, whatever it is, now you've reached your upper limit of what you can handle and you have to back down one notch. Maybe that's taking one less bouldering day per week, or maybe you you play you only play the second half of Ultimate Frisbee, or you you sub yourself out 25% more, or what whatever it is, you find what your upper limit is and then you slightly back off. But Mental health for us is just as important as it is to a pro, but where a pros, all pros get sports psychologists and they have a group of medical professionals and coaches around them and they spend all their downtime playing video games and watching movies and talking to people. That's their mental health. Ours comes in the form of active release a lot and it needs to be there until it compromises your goal. And yeah. then the push comes to shove. Is the goal more important or is the activity? And can you balance the two? And I think what you said and touching on that a little more is having having a plan each week sounds so like elementary, but that's that's where half the people are missing the mark. Like um, having a plan for the week outline, you're tired on Tuesday, but you plan on doing your interval session. Like, no, you're going to show up and you're going to do it. Do you think the Ingebrigtsen brothers are a little tired because they decided they didn't get enough sleep last night and they have an interval session on the docket with coach that morning? No, they're going to be going and they're going to be doing it. So holding yourself accountable to your plan is kind of is kind of the biggest deal. Like, I understand sleep gets in the way, work gets stressful, but I still think you got to arrive for yourself that day and do what's on the plan and stay on schedule. Uh, there's some exceptions, but for the most part, we don't. We don't. Like, pros don't. I, they don't care. You're you you it's a family member pass away and and you need to go to a funeral and it's devastating. You those pros are getting up at four in the morning, finding a local track in that town and still hitting the funeral. Like they're not they're not. And I had that example happen with somebody recently, so I use it. They said I can't do anything because I have you know this emotional stress. But all the things like that pop up all the time, and you just find a way. The pros not doing it's never an option. 
it's funny you bring up the Ingerberts and they're they have the a YouTube series. They allowed people to document them for like six years straight or something like that. Hmm. And it's on, you can find it. About half the episodes have not been translated from Norwegian. Um, but it's it's worth watching still. And in one of them, uh, one of the brothers gets a girlfriend and dating had not been allowed in the family because you're focusing on the goal. Like again, professional lifestyle. And mm -hmm. he shows up groggy one morning and the dad's all worked up about it. And he, the other brothers are like sheepishly grinning like, oh man, this is going to happen. And the guy takes his, his talking to and he's warming up looking sluggish. And then uh, first rep starts, boom. Head goes down, eyes focus in, and he drills his workout. And by the uh, end, he's dragging a bit on the last few reps, but he drilled his workout because A, it was a learning lesson, and B, he was a pro, and he, yep. he nailed his workout. But it was cool to see, like, he looked like all of us after a long night. He looked a little hungover. He looked disheveled. He looked droopy-eyed, bags under his eyes. He looked a little sluggish, and then he laced up his shoes, and he looked like a world-class athlete. Uh -huh. I love that little story. I've been in that situation a few times in my life, still pounded out that workout in the morning. So the one thing I can see here I just want to touch on uh, is I could see people, uh, those of you listening, still scratching their head like, okay, I get it. Like I, I need to have a plan. I need to do these things. I need to have purpose. Like I still don't know what the heck to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like some people yeah. could still be like, okay, great. You give me like this bare bone skeleton idea of what a pro does. And this is where I'm going to encourage you to start reading start searching and reading articles on the internet or buying books, um, seeking out a coach. There's a lot of great coaches in not only our sport, but just the sport of running or other things. Because um, you can learn a lot by reading or having somebody else teach you and then applying your own principles. And without races coming up, some would think that this is like kind of the least important time to start reading and educating yourself or the least important time to hire a coach. Uh, I would argue the opposite of it. It's actually the most important time to, to, to educate yourself because um, because right now we have the room to, to do it and we can experiment and we can learn and we don't have the pressure of racing necessarily. So um, I don't know, everybody who comes on this podcast, everybody who's a coach now has gone through their learning phase. Like we've all done it. I've read the bookshelf behind me, Bracken, which you can kind of see has 40 books on running and training and nutrition on it. And you have the same and you've been coached before and I've been coached before by many coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Bracken just grabbed a book. There you go. Like we, we are students and we didn't just like, we didn't just like make this shit up. We're talking about, we've learned through trials and error. We've read other people's literature and then we've designed our own. And so taking ownership over your fitness to create your plan is super important. Whether you hire somebody or you start reading something, um, not just, I don't know, not just blindly going through all this. It's just, that's just a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we love giving away actionable intel on this episode. I mean, on this podcast. And we have many episodes in the past where we talk about how to structure a block of training. And we highly encourage you to go back and do it. But there are a ton of examples of pros who are terrible coaches. Yes. And it is because they never had an idea of why they were doing what they were doing. The downside, the drawback of being in this cocoon where everything exists around you to support you is you don't really ever have to question it. You're hungry, you stick your hand out and someone puts food in it. You're sore, you stick your leg out, someone rubs it. You're fresh, someone hands you a workout, you do it. And that's kind of it. Whereas the everyday athlete should know the rhyme and reason behind what they're doing. You don't mm -hmm. have the luxury of just being coddled. 
and you need to do your research. So it'd be great to give you a specific plan every single week, but at some point you got to know why you're doing it so that you can adjust it when it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, go ahead. Well, no, you can continue with your thought and then I'll add uh, something different. It's kind of like, um, to go back to the car analogy, if you always take your car into the shop, when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're stranded with a car, you don't even know where to begin to get it back on the road. Mm -hmm. At some point, you should know the bare minimum. You should know how to change your tires. You should know how to fill up your tires. You should know how to change your oil. You should know how to check your fluid levels. That doesn't take an advanced degree. It's the bare minimum of knowing how your machine needs to move. And the same yeah, thing you, with you. If your plan goes off the rails and you have no idea why you were doing anything or really what you were doing, you can't get it back on the rails. You shouldn't be entirely dependent on someone else to do it for you. You should know some of the basic premises. And that's why we got to keep learning. Well, yeah, you either read and learn how to do it yourself or you have somebody show you. Mm-hmm. And either way, the end result may be the same. You know, if, if there, let's say there's a thousand athletes that, qualified for the Olympic games this summer. That's not happening, but let's say a thousand. How many of those thousand athletes have coaches? How many back do you think? I would bet a thousand. I would bet 995. <laughs> okay, just for sake of argument. Our yeah. sport guys, especially OCR is an anomaly that the top of our sport, some of these people are self-coached. We are the outliers. And a lot of the top guys are coach. You do not know that they're coach. Almost everybody does have a coach. And if they don't publicly proclaim it, somebody's giving them advice. But every professional athlete, again, has either educated themselves or has somebody else moving the puzzle pieces for them and doing that sort of thinking. Um, and and I'm not pushing you towards coaching. I'm pushing you towards taking ownership, mm-hmm. ownership over your, your knowledge here. Um, and that just starts by picking up a book or listening to podcasts like this one or doing whatever. But uh, point being is um, everybody's gone through a learning phase, uh, whether they currently are being coached or they're coaching themselves. And and I think a lot of you are probably sorting through that right now. So it's kind of time to, I don't know, put some knowledge in that brain of yours and, and start figuring it out. You can be your own experiment too. There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right now, the great, you can, I've been my own experiment countless times. Bracken, you have too. Like you learn a lot that way as well. But as long as you still have a plan, that's the important part. It is. And if you hire a coach or if you start reading up on on your own training, you implement it yourself, either way, you're taking a leap of faith. You are taking a leap of faith that they are not going to leave you in a worse place than you are now. And that is scary to do with races on the horizon. If there was ever a safe time to find a coach, find a, a mentor advisor, or find your own literature to implement it yourself, it is now. You can put in an entire, what, 20 week build and not even be done with this calendar year. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. you can train for four months and not even be in sight of a race possibly. So you have the time to see how things work for you. So my big takeaway from this episode is that do not ever complete a workout without a purpose and do not choose that purpose without a goal. So you, we reverse engineer everything. You identify your goal. It can be a race. It can be a time trial. It can be, like I said, a fitness uh, marker. I need to raise my threshold higher. 
then you reverse engineer backwards and now each workout has a purpose and then you stick to your purpose. Do not get clouded by I feel great today because a couple feeling great days in a row leads to feeling crappy or leads to a stress fracture or leads to missed time. Every day has its purpose. Do not deviate without a better purpose. Yeah. I don't I don't have anything to add to that. You wrap that uh, in a nice little bow tie for us, Bracken. Thanks. This is a yeah. vague episode. The first episode was very black and white. This one gets a little bit more vague because we're talking mindset and mindset is gray area. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is tricky, but the principles are what matter. Study the greats, study the wise and copy them in principle, not in actuality. Don't just copy a training plan because you saw Ryan Atkins did it. Don't copy one because you saw Hunter did it. Take their principles and their mindset and that is what you copy. So it took us an hour and uh, 11 minutes to tell people to make a plan and stick to it with purpose. Yep. Is that what I, is that what I <laughs> stick to it? That's exactly right. Um, I don't have anything else to add, Bracken. Do you? No, I do not, Kirk. Nothing to add. Enjoy I'm kidding. Yes, I have yeah. hours to add. I want to talk about this all day because mindset is not a, a destination. It's not like, hey, I beat mindset today. That's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> It's a constant evolution, and as as such, we could talk about it forever. And we've probably already said too much. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but that's okay. We we tend to do that once in a while. Yeah. We're passionate about this. We can't that's help it. Damn right, damn right, we are. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us for an hour and ten minutes, and uh, we'll catch you on Friday. See you Friday.